listener, and welcome to the sixth episode of the Metacast Crypto Corners. I'm your host, Nicola Vreke, or Nico for short, and today I'm joined by Derek Lau and the man with no real name, Lord of a Few, who uh, prefers to remain Anon for now. And today in this episode, we're talking about something that uh, I think a lot of us in the games industry who are interested in, in blockchains have a lot of questions around and that is blockchain scalability. What's up with different layers, L1, L2? What do you mean? I've heard this word rollups. What does that mean? Like, what's the difference between Ethereum and Solana, for example? I heard a lot about good things about that one as well. Um, so yeah, that's what we're talking about. But before we start, let's get to know each other a little bit. Um, so we have Derek. Um, you know, Derek from, from Immutable, can you tell the audience a bit more about yourself? Yes. Hi, everyone. So... Uh, my name's Derek. I'm currently the game director of Guild of Guardians, which is a mobile RPG that's coming out next year that's built on Immutable X. Uh, my background's pretty unique, so you know, I've been a gamer my whole life, ever since I was a little kid. Uh, did my own startup, which failed, then got into management consulting, and then I discovered crypto and NFTs in 2017. And so I started getting into the rabbit hole of, of CryptoKitties, which is the first uh, kind of uh, decentralized thing that that I found, got super deep into that, ended up joining Immutable two years ago to help them figure out how to add new games to the platform. And ever since then, I've been building out uh, this thing that's now become Guild of Guardians. We've kind of got a team of 70 people working on it and very excited about the space and very excited to, to chat with you all. It's really cool. Could you give me a bit more color around, um, so Immutable is a blockchain like scaling solution or and like a blockchain in itself as well um could you tell a bit more about what, what's the rationale about uh for you know building a game on top of that too as part of the, the you know the immutable team yeah sure so immutable as a company is a blockchain startup and our goal is to make digital worlds real and currently the immutable has a platform which is called immutable x which is the scaling solution which i'm sure we'll talk about um, soon. And then we also have games as well that we build. And so part of the reason we have this thing, Immutable X in the first place is because uh, the company was building a game called Gods Unchained, which is a trading card game similar to Hearthstone. And we found out very quickly that the blockchain we're using, which is Ethereum, wasn't scalable. Like it only supports something like 150,000 transactions a day before it starts getting clocked up and then things start costing more. Um, and given our vision of, of having millions or even billions of users using NFTs in games and, and doing, you know, millions of transactions a day, this just wasn't feasible. And so what the company immediately started looking into was how can we, you know, retain the security and decentralization of Ethereum whilst making it scalable. And so that's why we partnered with a company called Starkware to build Immutable X, which is now a tech solution that anyone can really use in order to, to add NFTs to their game or to their you know, product and service. Really cool. Cool. All right. Well, uh, welcome to the show. Super happy for, for, uh, to have you. Um, and next up, we have Lord. So Lord, you were on already a few Crypto Corners ago when we went deep into the Lootverse. Uh, I really love that episode. But uh, for those of our listeners who haven't listened to that episode, which you should, by the way, um, could you tell us a bit more about yourself? Yeah, GM, everybody. Uh, it's good to be back, Nico. And uh, yeah, nice to meet you, Derek. Um, but very different experience to, to Derek. I come from a um, 10 years of Web2 
Um, I've been dabbling in crypto ever since I discovered Bitcoin in about 2013 and then discovered Ethereum um, early on. Although I remember reading the white paper, although I didn't buy the uh, pre-sale, which I keep kicking myself about. But anyway, let's not talk about that. Um, and uh, yeah, I've just been dabbling in, in, in crypto for the last, uh, you know, you know, seven years. Started to dive in deep about two years ago with Solidity, but just as kind of, you know, um, just, just teaching myself. Um, but I didn't really dive headfirst into a project. And then uh, the Lootverse came along and it kind of captured my imagination. And I went head down into it and um, started building on top of uh, the Lootverse with the derivative project called Realms. And now we are building a turn-based strategy game built on StarkNet, which is StarkWare's general purpose zero-knowledge roll-up. We'll go into it a bit later, obviously, but it's analogous to Ethereum. So yeah, that's basically my, um, that's my background. Cool. Are you, um, are you full-time on this or do you have like a... Uh, I'm full-time, yes. I, I, yeah, I've spent a lot of time at my desk. Really cool. All right, good to know. Well, um, yeah, great to have you guys. I think uh, you guys are uh, perfect guests to discuss this. Um, so the first question is, um, why is blockchain scaling such a big deal? Derek, you want to kick that off? Yes, sure. So in short, the reason you know blockchain is useful in the first place is because it's decentralized, it's fully secure. But one of the biggest challenges that it has is that it's not very scalable. So you can't have many people using it at once without it costing more fees, particularly when it comes to uh, things like Ethereum, which is which is the most popular blockchain. And so in the last you know few years, particularly in the last year, a lot of scaling solutions have come out um, to, to build on top of Ethereum, as well as other blockchains or other side chains in order to deal with the scalability issues that Ethereum has. And the, the reason this is important is because it allows more transactions to happen. So it allows you know, an actual use case where you have millions of people using something at once, trading, paying for, for things, and enables all these real world use cases. So I think that's why it's so valuable and that's why everyone is going to eventually deal with some kind of scaling solution. Yeah, just to add on to that. There's, there's two outcomes in the next, you know, ten years. It's do you see a decentralized world where we remove the uh, intermediaries from lots of transactions, or you don't? And I mean, I think everyone on this pod, you know, um, sees the former. So you know, and it comes comes as what Derek was saying. You know, Ethereum has hit its limit on transactions per second. So Vitalik, you know, the the the, the Ethereum research, um, you know, crew have been trying to figure out scaling for you know the best part of four years well, ever since ethereum you know was incepted it was, this is always the plan to create this general purpose settlement layer which is ethereum now and build these um branches which are the roll-ups that all trace back to ethereum and every blockchain will hit this problem at some point it's just uh, ethereum's hit it first when another blockchain says oh it's cheap well it's cheap because no one's using it <laughs> that's the reason yeah, or, or they're sacrificing something to make it cheaper, which is usually security or decentralization. Exactly, yeah. Can we, can we go a bit deeper into that? So um, if I'm not mistaken, that is known as a blockchain trilemma. Uh, Derek, you want to... Oh yeah, Lord, you can, could you elaborate a bit on that? I was trying to think of that, the, um, the trilemma. Some, some, Derek, you might have a better explanation for that. I'm just... Um... Yeah, so there's three things 
that you want in a blockchain, you want uh, it to be secure, number one, you want number two for it to be decentralized, number three, you want it to be scalable. And the blockchain trilemma uh, is saying that you can only pick two out of the three. It's kind of that classic meme, pick two of these, two of the three. Exactly, yeah, yeah. So Ethereum sacrifices scalability for the other two and other blockchains can choose to sacrifice whatever they want. They can pick whatever combination they want, but it's hard to have all, the question is how do you have all three? Right. Um, and that's where some of these scaling solutions come in to try to solve that problem. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Ethereum hasn't sacrificed on that, as Derek said. That's been mm-hmm. its core, you know, focus from the beginning, and it's never, str- you know, strayed from that, um, which is, you know, ultimately what everybody wants. You need a blockchain that can run on low power, you know, devices that lots and lots of people can run. Otherwise, there's no point in actually having a blockchain. You know. It- <laughs> If there's only five machines running a blockchain, then there's not much point in it. One of the things I really like to think about is like, what's going to be here in a hundred years or two hundred years? Like, which blockchains going to exist? Because that's the one that um, kind of matters. Because the whole point of one of the big promises of NFTs is you own this thing forever, and there, there's a lot of provenance behind it. Um, and so, like, different people value it differently, but that's where you know security helps a lot with that longevity. Mm-hmm. Is that then where a blockchain like Solana, for example, differs? Because Solana has a significantly higher uh, number of transactions per second, which is uh, you know a measure of scalability. Where like where does it make other trade offs? Where does it pick you know where to focus on in that in that trilemma? Yeah, it sacrificed decentralization for you know speed and um, uh, transactions per second. Okay, so um, that means that there's actually you know fewer people players yeah because you need specialized hardware exactly you need specialized hardware to run it so not your average you know person at home can run a um a node so which means that you know only people that can run it are need specialized hardware which means it can limit the amount of people that can run the nodes so what he was saying is that for Solana, um, and I've done some research on this as well you almost need like a data center and so the problem is if there's only you know let's say 50 data centers in the world um, you know, running Solana or being able to run Solana because it's so computing and, and data heavy, um, it becomes dangerous because, because 26 of them might start you know, banding together and, and just overtake the network, attack the network um, and extract value out of that. Is that correct, uh, Derek? Yeah, I mean, I'm no, I'm no expert on it, but that's my understanding as well. And I think everyone has their own thesis of... Um, what really matters in the end for consumers, right? Like, do people really care that, what if these, you know, there's 26 parties that economically incentivize to work together, um, you know, are they really going to do anything? So um, I think this is where it's interesting because it's it depends on what the, the builders actually want and care about um, in terms of their choice. Yeah. Okay, um, let's talk a bit about, so we, we just talked a bit about, you know, the, the blockchain trilemma and how different blockchains basically make choices there. Um, there's a few, you know, words I hear or design decisions I hear that I'd like to, you know, shed some light on. First one would be sidechains. Derek, you, you want to you wanna explain like how you see, what, what is a sidechain? How should people understand that? Yeah, so a sidechain is effectively a separate record um, of, of, of kind of everything on the, on the blockchain. So you would have Ethereum and then you would have a sidechain. And basically what it happens is 
when you want to interact with the sidechain, you move things from Ethereum to the sidechain, do things there, and then you can always move it back to Ethereum. Um, so that's usually managed separately by whoever created that sidechain. But it's still technically Ethereum assets. Okay. And so an example for this is Polygon, correct? Correct. And so it, it's a separate blockchain, and it usually has fewer nodes, so it's less decentralized, so it makes that straight up, is that correct? Yeah, that's my understanding, yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, and so how, so you're saying that you know, assets are interchangeable, how does that work? So how do I get, let's say I have, I have you know, uh, one NFT um, on Ethereum, I just bought it there, um, every time I want to do something with it, it costs me uh, more than $100 in gas fees, I'd like to use it somewhere else, um, and you know, I, I see a game where I can use it on Polygon, H how does that work? So the way sidechains usually interact with Ethereum is, is through what they call a bridge, which is you can go back and forth. So you can okay. take things from uh, Ethereum, pay some gas fees to put it into um, an, an, a sidechain, and then you can use it on the sidechain based on whatever whatever the rules are there. You know, might still have fees, they're just less. And then when you want to take it out again, you can take it out. So I think for most sidechains, their their goal is you you never take it out. So you, you just you know use it on on Polygon or on, yeah. on whatever it is. Um, in a, in a scalable way. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And so it's like, you know, it's like some kind of, you know, a bridge where you pay a fee to get, to take your asset across and then you can take it back whenever you want, but you know, things are cheaper on the other side. So you might as well stay there. Exactly. Yeah. So you can still have control of it, take it out wherever you want. Um, it's still yours and it's, um, yeah, the, the only thing, as, as you mentioned, is usually with these sidechains, they just sacrifice security a little bit in terms of the, I'm um, sorry, decentralizational security. Okay, makes sense. All right, so we, we've just explained sidechains with Polygon as an example and bridges. Um, now, let's talk a bit about rollups. So rollups, what, what does this mean? What do we need to think by that? What's kind of the, you know, the mechanism by which they work from a very high level? Uh, and, and then afterwards, we can maybe go into the different types of rollups that we have and, and the trade-offs there. Yeah, so uh, rollups, they roll up transactions um, in this isolated environment, and then they submit one transaction back to the uh, main chain. So what that does is, uh, you know, you have your limit of uh, Ethereum's transactions per second, which is, you know, it's about 30 a second. And so then you suddenly have these rollups that could potentially do theoretically, you know, 100,000 transactions a second, um, depending on the type, but they're only submitting one proof back to the main chain, which is one transaction. So then you suddenly get 30 transactions a second times by the amount of uh, transactions a rollup can do. So that's where you get the scalability um, with Ethereum. And there's a, you know, there's a couple different types of uh, rollups that exist right now. There's the optimistic rollup, uh, which is you know Arbitrum, uh, Optimism, and there's a bunch of other ones that are about to emerge. Um, and then you have the um, you know ZK zero knowledge rollups. There's a few different flavors of zero knowledge rollups because um, Derek you know Immutable works with a you know StarkX, which is a specialized um, zero knowledge rollup specialized for Immutable. And then Stark Starkware has, has just released StarkNet, which is a general purpose zero knowledge rollup. By that I mean it can actually run smart contracts that can um, be composed together, much like how Ethereum works. So it's basically Ethereum on a rollup. So you get the composability of Ethereum, but the fees and scalability of a rollup. 
uh, which is very exciting. But it's very early days. Let's be real. So mm-hmm. it's got a long way to go, and uh, we're just we're just starting to see these things emerge. Um, and then there's you know there's a bunch of other flavors. There's, you know there's like um, uh, Loop Ring, which is another specialized zero knowledge roll up. There's there's quite a few that have that have popped up. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. And so if I understand it correctly, a roll up bundles transactions. So let's say that I do an NFT drop and I have a thousand NFTs that go to a thousand different addresses on Ethereum. These would all be like one transaction would take up a lot of space. But if I use a rollup and I do it on there, this rollup bundles all my transactions, which makes that it actually becomes one transaction on the Ethereum main chain. Is that correct? Yeah, essentially, yeah. And that's why it's a lot cheaper. And is that also why the more people use this, the cheaper it actually becomes? Yes, because the base transaction cost back to the main chain gets amortized across all the transactions across the users. It's, it's like it's the inverse of how Ethereum works. Ethereum works. The more people that are using the network, you know, the more you have to charge to use the network. Uh, rollups essentially are inverse of that. The more people that are using the rollups, the cheaper the transaction gets for the end user. Okay. What are kind of the trade-offs that are made there? Because we have this blockchain trilemma that we already discussed. Um, it's never as simple as, you know, this is just purely, you know, more scaling. So my question is, let's say that I decide, you know, to, to have my game, my NFTs live on one of these rollups. What are kind of the trade-offs that I make in deciding that? Uh, well, uh, I mean, Derek can probably explain uh, Mutable X quite, quite deeply. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, optimistic rollups, they have a, to get onto them, you, know, you have to deposit some funds into it, and they work this consensus layer called um, fraud proofs. So once you're on an optimistic rollup, you can do all your transactions on it. But then if you want to withdraw from it, it takes about a seven-day withdrawal period because the fraud proof is how the system works out if there's been a fraudulent transaction. Basically, anybody can submit if a transaction's been fraudulent, but if nothing gets submitted within the seven days, then your transactions get approved and you can withdraw your amount back onto the main chain. Um, but that's an optimistic rollup. Perhaps Derek, you can talk about ZK. Yeah, I, I think um, coming at it from a, a slightly different angle as well. I think as a as a game, um, you know, you're looking at everything. Like, you know, you're looking at uh, what is the user experience of of using this particular technology solution or this this blockchain. You're using it, looking at how easy is it to build on it. You know, are there smart contracts? Do you work with APIs? You know, you're looking at the how scalable is it because they still have different levels of scalability, you know, decentralization, those things that we talked about already. Um, and you also probably look at like how many other people are building on it. Are there, are there going to be network effects of other projects, other marketplaces? Or like, are you the only one you know is going to be using this? Um, so I think there's there's actually a lot of considerations when it comes to what blockchain or scaling solution a, a game wants to use. Um, Energy efficiency has been a big topic as well. We've, we've seen uh, Ubisoft announce today, not today, yesterday, around, around their new game that's coming out, and they labeled it energy efficient. And it's like the most downvoted YouTube video ever. <laughs> and so like, that's probably a big consideration for, for, for games as well, or especially big companies around what's the energy impact and how are their consumers going to react. So I think there's like a whole, whole lot of other um, different things as well that the different games are going to consider. Mm-hmm. And so we talked about sidechains. So Polygon, there's a bridge that you can use to go to bridge your assets from Ethereum to Polygon. How does that work in a rollup world? And is there a difference between the you know the optimism optimistic rollup and the zero knowledge rollup? 
How does that work? Um, well, it works in a similar way to the Polygon bridge. You know, you would uh, you know you would deposit your NFTs into a bridge contract, which then your NFTs would get um, uh, you know, minted on the the roll-up side, and then you can do what you want with the with the NFT. And it also could work in in reverse, which I think you know that's basically what you know Immutable X has, has solved. Um, a lot of that you know minting massive amount of NFTs, which I think you guys are building a bridge back onto mainnet, right? something yeah exactly like we yeah. a lot of what you can do on immutable x is you mint directly on immutable x if people yeah. ever want to take it out they can but there is no need to either um, yeah or you <laughs> might have something that's not on there and you can yeah. always deposit it in yeah and if you're really you know if you're super paranoid or something you know there, there's a slight risk trade-off with roll-ups because obviously you are dealing with you know slightly more centralized nodes but they're also you know they're verified by ethereum so like if you have something really high value and you want it on the most secure chain, perhaps, you know, you'd want to put it back on the main chain. I don't know why you would, but, you know, that that would be one potential reason why you would, you know, mm -hmm. in the future. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, is there, like, how's the interoperability between the different rollups? Yeah. So as I understand it now, you can always bring it back to mainnet and then use the bridge to, to another rollup. But there's there, are there bridges between them as well? Not currently. Okay. Um, but it's yeah. possible. I think uh, Vitalik even did a post about this um, about a few months ago. Did you guys read that? I think it was more like a. I think it was on a on the the ETH uh, research um, okay. forum, and uh, he outlined a, a way to do it. But we also need to remember, you know, these um, rollups. That you know, they're very new. I mean, they're still technically in beta, the optimistic ones, um, and you know, the, the ZK ones. Well, the the, the general purpose um, Starknet is you know in alpha. So I think we, we, in twelve months' time, it's going to look very different. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I think it depends on how you define interoperability as well, because the the the, the definition that I see for it is kind of you have you have something existing in one ecosystem or one game or one product, and that NFT that exists there can also is also represented in another game or another product. So theoretically, you, you could have you know someone's building a game on Polygon and they're recognizing that you have an account also on Immutable X and you own an NFT there and therefore you get something in the Polygon game, that is theoretically possible. But I think a lot of the uh, burden on interoperability falls on the developer who's like building this the, the world where this thing exists or the game or the, the marketplace. That's cool. Yeah, I guess it comes comes back to what you are saying before about um, composability. It's much easier to compose, you know, contracts and together when they are on the same chain. But yeah, as Derek said, there are ways to you know, get around it. But realistically, if we were to achieve this, you know, dream of interoperability of assets between games, uh, it is likely that at least initially those would happen within the same, you know, scaling solution within the same rollup. Yeah, I'd say. Okay. Yeah. And I guess, and I guess, Lord, that's why you are pushing for the whole lootverse to yes. you know, move together on on the same uh, scaling solution. Yeah, I, I you know we we built the entire you know game on Arbitrum, and Arbitrum is great. I'm not saying it's not. We kind of been I've been looking at Starknet, uh, but I've been so laser focused on just building out the game that I you know and the market moved so fast, I didn't give it enough notice when I first uh, started building the game. And so then I, you know, I, I, was, I was hitting limits with Arbitrum, even though it is cheap. Um, you know, it's like, well, the question is, for a, a rich gaming experience on chain, 
and that's what we're actually we're trying to build the entire game state on chain you have to do quite a few transactions you know to play a game uh, it's so much fun if you're just doing one transaction um, at a time so you know we quickly realized you know even with the cheap fees it's not still not suitable so you know that's why we we turned our um, head to uh, Starknet and then you know once you dive into what's possible with Starknet you realize the actual computation capacity and the type of functions you can write actually greatly um, advanced as well uh, because you know you know with a, with a zero knowledge proof you can actually do significantly more computation in an actual um, contract and it costs the same amount as you know a less transaction because it's in the same proof uh, as, as a you know a smaller contract uh, so a big contract you know a 200 line contract doing some crazy noise function or something uh, will cost the same in terms of um, transactions as like a little function this is the way they work so then you know that kind of got me thinking you know well we want to do some rich pvp experiences and you know this this is the way to do it and also one of our um, developers is has built an open simplex noise algorithm in cairo which is pretty crazy and so we're thinking of using that for these you know generative maps provable random generative maps that are random every time you um you know hit the function so you know stuff like that is only possible on starknet maybe another platform in the future but it's only possible on starknet right now and so that's what got me so excited about that and that's why we made the move and uh yeah i've been the biggest <laughs> proponent in the loot first to try and push everyone there um and you know i'm talking to a lot of lot of people um but you know let's you know it, it is early days in starknet you know it's daunting having to learn a new language uh, which is what you currently have to do with starknet um there will be like a transpiler for solidity contracts but it's not quite there yet but if you're coming from solidity or you have some experience with you know python or c uh, it's pretty easy to pick up so yeah anybody listening that wants to dive in uh there's a really great blog called parama uh parama's notes um which i don't know maybe you can drop that in the, the show description nico but anybody that's curious about writing on Starknet, go and read his notes because it's basically the gold standard right now, and uh, it will blow your mind what's possible. Okay, that's really cool um, and exciting. Can you talk a bit more about the game that you're building? So it's it's like a, as you call it, maybe you can tell a bit more about massive multiplayer OCGs or on-chain games. Ah, yes, <laughs> yeah. So uh, so yeah, describe it as a massively multiplayer on-chain composable game. It's a bit of a mouthful, but I, know, I think it's a good little. Um, you know, statement. Um, and so there's 8,000 realms which were one-to-one with the uh, loot bags. And these realms are procedurally generated maps uh, with unique languages and unique resource um, distribution um, throughout them. That's what the, was the genesis of this game. And so we are porting them to Starknet through an NFT bridge, uh, which we're building at the moment. And when you're on Starknet, you will be able to settle these realms and when you start, when you settle the realm, you will be able to start generating your resources, which are also just tokens. Um, and you also start generating lords, which is a native native um, currency. And then with those resources, you'll be able to build up your realms. And remember, this is all on all on state, all on all, all on chain. So there's no central service. And then with these resources, you'll be able to build up your um, buildings and build armies and raid other realms. And because it's on chain, you know our, our vision is that these resources become these composable assets that other developers can come along permissionlessly and write other contracts to consume them. 
And so this is where the composability of you know a blockchain becomes so um, important, and the composability across games that we touched um, upon before is that you know traditional games like your Fortnites or your Call of Duties or whatever you play, you know, everything's siloed. You know all these assets they're all siloed within their own you know universes, and you can't port them or you can't sell them um, you know from one universe to the next. And so when you run everything on a, on a blockchain with the same backend, um, you know, someone, someone's going to come along and do a game. Uh, and there's, there's, a couple, there's a few other games like Dope Wars is um, also building on Starknet. And so we'll be able to like, you know, do transactions of the assets between players of, you know, in each individual game asset. Um, and someone will be able to build a marketplace for that without any, anyone's permission. Um, so that's what's really great about, you know, building everything on the same backend, which is really what the blockchain is, right? It's a, everyone's got this shared database, shared machine that they have to pay to write on, right? So it's like reading and you can write to it. And you know, to write to the your machine, you have to pay a little bit. Mm-hmm. But because you pay that little bit, it means you get to keep your asset. So that's the trade-off, right? So and that's that's the huge paradigm shift that we're seeing right now is that, you know, you want to keep your assets. That's why you pay that little bit. And I'm happy to pay that little bit. If I get to keep my asset, then I can do what I want with it. So yeah, in, 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 probably in a nutshell, yeah, I'd, I'd suggest everyone go and kind of read our site because it's you know it is is quite a deep um, game. But probably the easiest analogy to the game is probably like Civ, like a Civ type game, you know, turn based um, strategy game where you're trying to conquer other people. It's probably the most simple analogy. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so what you're building is for for now at least you think uh, only possible or maybe best done on. A um, a roll-up solution like Starknet. Yes, correct. Uh, that's this. It's the best solution right now to build the game. And you know, from the beginning, we've we've wanted to do everything on chain, uh, which is currently you know the biggest trend right now in the whole you know NFT and and space like the Wolf game and that that, that Dragons game. That's just like you know you do you do a couple transactions. We want to do like complex transactions. Um, on chain so you know you'd be able to do like 5 10 20 transactions a day for you know a couple bucks um, but with those 5 10 transactions 20 transactions you know you might be able to conquer a few other realms um, you'll be able to trade your resources uh, you might be able to craft a few things for you know a few bucks um, so that's that's the kind of that's the grand vision mm-hmm. and so we're building and you know these games are actually you know what's really interesting is it's like these games, they're like these miniature economies and they have their, <laughs> they have these cycles, you know, they, they, they have these boom and bust cycles where suddenly there gets this hyperinflation and then everybody tries to figure out, you know, how to decrease, you know, try to inbuild a deflationary method, method into it. And some of them just pop. And so it's super important to think about the macro and the micro in when you're designing an economy. And we've put a lot of thought into that. <laughs> we've spent a lot of hours trying to figure out, you know, well, you get the macro of generating the, the resources well then you know what's the micro and the micro is you know the transactions between the players and the burning of the resources and if you don't keep those things in balance then something gets out of whack just like in the real world economy right mm-hmm. so but yeah it's a super interesting space yeah every game is suddenly an economy with the central bank basically and uh, yeah yeah <laughs> that's yeah, that's basically. part of the beauty of it as well yeah. it's yeah. no one can change it even if it, exactly, everything's yeah. in what like out of whack yeah. Well, that's how it is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, Derek, can yeah. you go a bit more into like how your game works? What happens on chain? Is it fully on chain? Is there stuff happening off chain as well? Um, 
and how do you see that? Yeah, absolutely. So, so taking a step back, kind of Guild of Guardians, our our vision, kind of our mission is to onboard millions, well, hundreds of millions of, of people into, of gamers into digital asset ownership. And so kind of our, our strategy for doing that is we want, one, build a really good gaming experience. Um, two, we want to make the like blockchain part really good, but also like really streamlined. Um, not everyone knows what Solidity is, what 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 contracts are, how how to use you know, MetaMask. Um, and so that's one of the things that you know, it's a bit different to to what Lord is doing, but that's kind of our hypothesis, right, of how to break into this mainstream gaming audience. Um, and so what we're doing with Guild of Guardians is not everything is on chain. So there are NFTs in the game. Or, or let me take a step back. So in the game you have a team of heroes. And so kind of the goal of the game is you, you get this team of heroes and you build out your squad, level them up and battle through dungeons, a bit like Diablo, get loot, level up. And then you can also summon new heroes as you go along the way. And the way it works is that uh, the more premium things in the game are NFTs and they're quite hard to get. And then, but there are also just normal in-game items, like normal items mm-hmm. that you can't trade. Um, and part of that is quite intentional as well by design because we we believe like there are certain things that we don't want players necessarily spending money on. So we don't we wouldn't want players having to buy a character to, to play the game for the first way. That's a big barrier to entry. Mm-hmm. It doesn't help us with our with our long-term goals. Um, and also it provides more flexibility in terms of balance managing that economy as well. Because it's one of those things where the sustainability of it is huge. Uh, if you have, if the economy crashes, everyone's unhappy. <laughs> and yeah. and so having these things that are off chain that we can have more control of um, are, are helpful to, to help us do that. Yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a good hybrid. Okay. And you know, and you know, we're doing our game totally on chain. But you know, this is just one angle. I truly believe what you know Immutable's doing is great because you know they've they've created this easy to use API which backs onto the, the zero knowledge rollup. So anybody that knows how to use an API, which any half decent developer can use, can suddenly just plug into it. Um, so it's great. Yeah, exactly. So from a like internal team development development perspective, it's also easier to pick up. And so if I understand this correctly, so to, sorry to interrupt you, Derek. So Lord, you're building your game natively on this zero knowledge um, rollup, Starknet. And Derek, um, so Immutable is is doing the same, but you're also providing with Immutable X um, the possibility for other games to also have, you know, blockchain items. But you provide an API, and so you abstract away the need for like to be able to actually develop on that blockchain. Yeah. So Immutable, uh, the company is partnered with Starkware, who also created you know, Starknet that that's, that Lord's using. Um, to create something called Immutable X, and anyone, any developer can use it. And the way they interact with it is they use, interact with it through mostly APIs, and they can do that and create NFTs, um, have integrate NFTs into the, the game, you know, integrate a marketplace and all these different things that they can then create and use, kind of plug and play with, with these different APIs. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's the goal. We have you know, not just our game building on it, we have many other games or other collectible projects also building on it as well. And is that all the same blockchain? 
or or is what the immutable X is doing a, a different blockchain than the one Lord is Lord is building on? Yeah, so it's it's like a a specialized one that uses zk rollups. So it's different, and I think the main difference. You know, correct me if I'm wrong. If you think differently, Lord is is just um, well, there's two main differences. One is how you interact with it. So for immutable X, developers interact with it using APIs as opposed to having to to write contracts. Um, and so, so really, that's that's the main difference. Where it's kind of abstracts away uh, that level of um, like code is law element of it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, that's 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 right. Um, you know, Immutable has made it easy for you know anybody to just plug and play. And you know, Starknet is a general purpose you know um, smart contract platform that anybody can just use. Um, you know, and Immutable X and you know DYDX and Soare, how you pronounce it, um, they've all got their own specialized um, you know, ZK rollup built by Starkware using the sa same underlying technology. Um, the Starkware guys are geniuses. Um, but yeah, just quietly. <laughs> right, cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, I feel like yeah. we're getting to a point where the information is getting, you know, a lot to like, it starts to get overwhelming. So I think this is like a good point to, to keep this um, or, or to end this. Um, I'm sure we'll have a lot of like extra questions to build on this. And I feel like we're going to have to, uh, you know, to do other um, more episodes, also when this technology evolves, right? Because um, we're now taking a snapshot of, of the the state of the blockchain and where it's going, and, and in six months, because everything goes so fast, it might be completely different. Uh, let's let's move on. So, I mean, as my listeners uh, of of the Metacast know, I like me some bold predictions, um, and so today I've asked you guys to think about a bold prediction about blockchain scaling. So um, let's hear it, Lord. You can go first. Yeah, I predict within, you know, in five years' time when ETH2 happens and sharding happens and there's a thousand, well, there's a thousand uh, zero knowledge rollups running, there's going to be billions of transactions happening per day. And the intermediaries have been uh, rubbed out of the economy and the institutions. Not, not, not from a, um, you know, uh, utopian point of view, but, you know, if you're a middleman right now and you can be replaced. Um, I'd be shaking in your boots. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I agree. I like that prediction. Um, makes yeah. a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, Derek, how about you? Love that. <laughs> I I I think very much from a, a gaming angle, right? And so my prediction is that people won't even know what um, scanner solution they're using. Like it'll just be their their own digital assets. They can trade it. They yeah. play this game. They know it's secure, right? They know everything is secure, but they don't actually know what they're interacting with. There'll probably be a few winners um, because the power of network effects are so important. Like Law's trying to convince all these people to come to Starkton and build on it because the more people building on something, the more valuable it is. Mm -hmm. um, so I think the network effects are really going to lead to having just a few winners in the space and everyone's just interacting with it, but in a much more seamless way where hopefully they don't even know necessarily um, which one they're doing, or they just they just know it's all you know safe and secure and in the code. Mm -hmm. And do you guys see like a complete extraction about uh, interchain operability as well? So right now, if if Lord wants to convince me to move my Lootverse assets to uh, to Starknet, I'm gonna have to you know manually put them inside a bridge, you know pay the gas fees for all that stuff. Do you expect that to be fully abstracted away as well? Well, it's always going to be one. There's always going to be a transaction, I think. But yeah, as Derek said, I think uh, you know there will be this layer on top for 
a lot of the population. They won't have to do anything complex. They'll know it's secure and it will just happen. Uh, that's where it'll get to. It's just like, you know, most people don't know how your phone works. <laughs> you know, and that's what it will get like, you know, um, eventually. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, seamless, seamless. Right. Yeah. Um, it's just, you know, the, 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 the best and brightest uh, working on all these problems. <laughs> By far, not that. But there's, you know, there's a lot, a lot of people working on this in this space right now. And when you put that many minds together, um, you know, magic, magic happens in a sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have a potentially controversial take as well, which is just for the purpose of this segment. Um, like, I, I don't think switching things between chains is going to be that appealing, at least for a long time, just because users don't, aren't going to have a really good reason to, to, to do that. Like, if you have an NFT in a game that exists on Immutable X, like, if you move it to another chain, there's nothing you can do with it on that other chain, really. Um, and so I can see it happening where, like, I think Lord mentioned before, you want to move it back to Ethereum, maybe unique, and move it back to Ethereum just to s- store it safely in your ledger or, or, you know, be 100% sure that it's, you know, secured by Ethereum. But other than that, I think it's going to take quite a while for, for that to be a real use case. Mm. Yeah, I think I agree. Whenever there's going to be, like, real interoperability between games, that's probably going to be happening on the same like scaling solution anyway. And the only reason I can right now imagine why, you know, there would be interoperability cross chain or cross rollup is for assets that currently already exist. Um, so for example, um, let, let's say that you can use a board ape inside a game, um, then there might be a way where you can use it inside a game on Immutable X, uh, inside a game on, on Polygon, inside a game on, on Arbitrum. Um, Something like that, but but not with the the ones that get minted on these chains for specific games that are built there. Um, yes, yeah, I think we're in limbo at the moment. Sorry, <laughs> we're, we're all the it, we're still in limbo at the yeah. moment where everyone's minting on 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 mainnet, but you know, uh, everyone's going to be minting on a layer two. You know, in a year's time, yeah. you're not going to be minting on a layer one. Uh, you know, Ethereum will just be used as a settlement layer for all the rollups. If you really want to do a transaction on it, it's not going to get a lot cheaper. Mm-hmm. Pay, paying a hundred dollars for to do something isn't going to be <laughs> normal. No, anymore. it's not feasible. <laughs> it's unless you're an ETH whale. Um, but, yeah. yeah. Um, final question for you guys. Um, so you're both building a game on one of these scaling solutions. When can we expect something to play? Lord, what about you? Uh, we are in the process of uh, building a, a a miniature like a dungeon crawler. Uh, that's going to be pre uh, main strategy game because it's uh, it's just short more short term um, achievable um, because the settling game is is rather complex. Uh, so we're expecting this in probably within the next six six to eight weeks. Uh, we're building it. Uh, it's it's, it's going to be a you know browser based um, generative dungeon crawler. We'll be able to collect things, um, but it will be running on Starknet. That's really cool. And then the main net. Q1 next year, let's say that. Awesome. How about you, Derek? Nice. So I think we'll, we'll begin to do some public testing early next year uh, without you know, fully releasing the game, and then we'll look to probably ship Little Guardians on mobile in the, around the middle of the year. Uh, but you know, timelines are always going to change. Yeah. <laughs> so is it, is, it, is it fully mobile, fully mobile game? It is going to be, yeah, fully mobile. Yeah, cool. Really cool. All right. So if people have questions about your games, about you know your approach, if they want to you know ask questions about 
how to decide what rollup or scaling solution to choose where they can they find you what about you lord uh you find me in the uh realms and biblioteca uh discord i'll be there i'm lord of the few all right how about you derek yeah they can find me in the guild of guardians discord uh another name x derek or on twitter my tag is x derek lau l-a-u okay just just awesome. quickly just one thing just about discord yeah. <laughs> Isn't Discord basically the metaverse? I've been thinking about it. it basically is, don't you think? Like you could find your little communities and you can, you know, plug and do what you want. Sir, there's yeah. no crypto there, sir. Not yet. Not yet. Yeah. And yeah. when they when they said it there was there might be, then uh, we had this this whole uh, Ubisoft uh, drama where so many dislikes and, and, and hate from the community. Um but yeah, you're you're actually right. I mean, yeah. I think I'm in two hundred Discord servers and I had to <laughs> Like, that's, that's, the that's the limit. That's the limit. It's really annoying. Like every new server I join, I have to, you know, mute and yeah. ignore all ads here and at all because um, I don't like having these red circles with a, like I always have like <laughs> I always want my notifications clear. Um, anyway, yeah, that was it. So Derek and Lord, thank you so much for this. Uh, I enjoyed thank it. You. I I learned a lot. I hope the audience did too. Um, yeah. If you have any more questions, guys, um, we also have a Discord, the Metacast or the the Navic Discord. You can come there, you know, ask questions. Um, I'm in touch with Derek and Lord, so I can always point you to them. And yeah, with that, that rounds up the episode. Thank you very much for listening. And yeah, we look forward to speaking to you in the next one. Cheers.